Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you have any questions for our guests, there are many ways you can contact the show. You can post a question on our wall on Facebook, Skype us, send us a tweet on Twitter to at The Organic View, or you can contact me directly at June Stoyer. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming to the show Ruby Roth. She is the author of two books. The latest is Vegan is Love, Having Heart and Taking Action. Now, for most of you that understand this, plant-based diets are not only healthier, but they also enable people to walk the talk as far as truly respecting nature. Education is critical to understanding how we should live and coexist with other beings. However, when it comes to educating children about veganism, there's no easy way to explain what we do as human beings to other beings in order to satisfy our own needs. So on today's show, I have the pleasure of talking to Ruby Roth. She has two magnificent books. The first one is called That's Why We Don't Eat Animals, and it's a book about vegans, vegetarians, and all living things. And then her latest book, which is called Vegan is Love, Having Heart and Taking Action. And I just want to mention, folks, that the books are so beautiful. She is a talented illustrator. And it, for those of you that are familiar with publishing, to find somebody just to, pu- to illustrate a book is difficult enough. But to have the artistic capability to be able to truly get the message across through illustration really is a gift. So I would like to welcome to the show Ruby Roth. Good afternoon, Ruby, and welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Ruby, I really admire everything that you've done with both books. And, you know, um, I have to admit, your illustrations are really magnificent. And the first thing that I noticed was just the, the, the beautiful images on the cover. And I'd just like to talk to you a minute about your background. Um, can you tell our audience about yourself and how you got into drawing? Um, I've always been into art, and I knew that that's what I was going to do from a young age. So I consider myself an artist before um, I'm a writer. Um, and I, I majored in um, both art and American studies in college because um, even as a young kid, I was always interested in fairness. And then in um, high school, um, started to get into political history and social justice movements. Um, and in college, I majored in American studies. So I was never really fully comfortable creating art just for art's sake. I wanted to do something that was effective. And putting these books together really allowed me to um, meld all of my interests, my passions in art and um, being effective in the public realm. Well, I think your your, your gifts truly uh, lend themselves to being uh, a leader in education as far as getting the message out, not only to children but to adults. One of the things that I just want to quickly mention is the fact that you so cleverly 
inside the book the book itself um, on the first two pages you have footprints from humans as well as other beings and <laughs> I just thought that that was such a smart way to just visualize the connection between human beings and other sentient beings yeah that comes from the first few lines um, of my first book that talks about how we are all earthlings and we all share the will to live and so there are all of our footprints and and in other words we are all animals sharing this earth together how long have you been a vegan i am on my 10th year can you tell our audience what prompted you to make that transition? Sure. Well, like I said, I was um, interested in politics and social justice. I studied that um, from a teenager on, and I considered myself to be pretty healthy and into alternative health. Um, but, and I, I think many people can relate to this, food was somewhat of a blind spot. And I really can't tell you why that is, um, besides that we are all just um, brainwashed from a young age um, to have meat and dairy normalized in our lives. Um, but it, it started because a friend of mine pointed out that um, my eating habits did not match my morals and values. Mm-hmm. And when I looked into um, our food and agricultural systems, cognitive dissonance between who I thought I was as a person and what I was consenting to and participating in was just mind-boggling. So I committed to uh, try veganism for a summer, and I felt so good. I lost weight. I stopped getting sick. I used to get tonsillitis several times a year, and I thought that was just normal, like spring, summer, winter, cold season. (laughs) Mm. Uh, And when that went away, that was a huge clue. It was like turning over a pebble and finding a mountain. So I never went back, and that launched um, a lot of research into the lifestyle, and um, here come the books a few years later. (laughs) No, it's interesting. When I ask people that question, everybody has a different path that they've gone down that has led them to the point where they're at now. I know for myself, I was raised on a farm, and, you know, when you're watching animals become dinner, it's not very easy to uh, basically be the rebel and refuse to go against what everybody else is doing. And it's interesting that uh, when I began working as an educator in horticulture, um, I did a lot of volunteer work. And I remember one summer I tagged monarch butterflies, and then the following summer I got my first two hives as an adult and became a hobbyist beekeeper. And it was from my time spending, uh, I, I guess, my mornings outside with the bees and just admiring how they work together as a unit, as a family, and then just noticing how they connect with one another as well as how other butterflies, birds, what have you, were also doing the same thing, that it just kind of clicked. And I think everyone that has been down this path, there's always something significant that gets that message across where they realize that, you know, something, what we're doing, it just doesn't affect us. It affects everything around us. And I think that especially uh, 
with Vegan is Love, Having a Heart and Taking Action, you've done a magnificent job covering all the different aspects. And it's very interesting how society has brought us once again right back to where we were, I think almost uh, 30 years ago, especially with the movement to get people to stop wearing fur. Now you're starting to see a lot of celebrities that are wearing fur. They're wearing leather. Uh, I was horrified to see how feathers were a part of fashion earlier this year. And it just makes you wonder, where have, where did we drop the ball as a society? Uh, why is it that it's okay for people to push these very um, things in fashion, but yet when uh, your book came to me as a, as a subject for an interview, it had been expressed to me that your book was highly controversial. And I couldn't understand why, because your book is beautifully illustrated. And I didn't really think that there was anything wrong with the things that you wrote about. I think, if anything, you you were just very honest and direct and to the point. So uh, my question to you is, why do you think as a society it's so hard for people to hear about where their food comes from as well as the different materials that are used for fashion? Why is it that they don't want to hear it? I think it's very difficult to look at our own destructive habits. I mean, there's even if you look at yogic traditions um, and the samskaras, that's the, that's the, the turning your... Um, yourself and your attention towards the destructive habits that we participate in and changing those. And that's hard work. So I think it's just like, you know, if you if you um, call somebody out for something that they said that may have been racist, the first thing that they will do is tell you all the reasons how they're not racist instead of turning their attention to what they may have said and how it may or may not have been um, appropriate. And what's amazing about working with children um, is that they respond to the facts with this profound diplomacy and a sense um, not of remorse, I think, which more connotes a personal responsibility, but mm. a sense of regret and just feeling um, that wow, this is something that we do and, and it's wrong and it makes complete sense to them why we wouldn't um, eat animals and why we wouldn't wear fur. So I think it starts in childhood that we have this inherent compassion and connection to the world around us. And as we grow up um, with the food pyramids in our classroom sponsored by the USDA and commercials and um, every everything that we do that's destructive is so hidden um, under biased messaging that it's kind of easy to see how many people don't care. And like I said, when I discovered what I was participating in, it was so mind-boggling. I couldn't have even imagined what was going on without having seen it with my own eyes. So I do have some some compassion for people who just don't know yet, because I was one of those people. And I think we are still at the beginning of introducing this lifestyle and the motives behind it to the mainstream. And yes, there was a lot of controversy um, around my book. P many people thought it was, um, I should say non-vegan people, thought that it was scary and too graphic for kids. But really there's nothing in the book that a child wouldn't see walking through a grocery store by the deli section or 
on the myriad shows on TV about hunting um, or fishing or even cooking. So yeah, it's nothing you- compared to what I what would have been in it had I used photographs of the real situations. Well, you know, it's interesting. Even if you put on the Food Network, uh, you can see when uh, the show Chopped, which I used to love watching, and then yeah. uh, they have a couple of, you know, when they have certain uh, types of fish that they basically butcher right, you know, practically on air. It's it's a little upsetting. But, uh, yeah, and, and think about, I thought the most interesting part of the whole controversy was that by calling my book scary, adults were admitting that what we do to animals is very disturbing. So if a child is scared by an illustration of an animal in a cage, even, something as simple as that, what does that say about our children's instincts? Well, kids are very perceptive, and the thing is is that they also have a lot of questions. Uh, I think for the most part, uh, the minute that a child is able to speak, one of the favorite words is why. Why, why, why? And when you don't have an answer, why can be a very unpleasant question. And it's interesting that there are so many different things in our society that children will question, but yet either they don't get an answer or they don't get an answer that's clear. They get uh, this answer that basically kind of uh, is meant to confuse them or to just get them to stop asking questions. And I think that that is a very big problem because as they get older, they become further disconnected with nature. And what's funny is is that everything that happens in our childhood, we wind up uh, trying to fix as adults. Right. Well, I, I think what – go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say what I think what you're saying comes down to is um, we have a very Victorian concept of childhood here in the West, and it's something that we inherited um, down the line of history, which um, it it makes us want to protect kids from the adult world and keep them innocent and pure. But in reality, there is no universal concept of childhood and what children are capable of or thought to be capable of um, varies throughout history and throughout the world. So I think that we are, by, by sugarcoating or avoiding the truth, we're actually hindering what our children are capable of um, psychologically and even physically as far as even helping in the kitchen. So I think when kids ask why, that's that's means that they're um, they're at the right age to be answered in a truthful and honest manner. I just want to read a comment from someone in the audience uh, that's in our chat room. Uh, This is coming from Julian's mama, and she wrote, Great interview. I bought Ruby's first book for my six-year-old son and plan to get her new one very soon. Thank you, Julian's mama. Uh, Once again, the, the books are so well written, and the illustrations really, in my opinion, are quite mild compared to what you see even on TV commercials. I mean, the fact of the matter is is that these things are not things which are talked about. Uh, for example, you were kind enough to include a section about zoos, 
And it's interesting. Zoos, most people think, oh, let's take the kids to the zoo. Zoos are fun. But they don't understand that zoos are not a fun place for the animals. Who would want to be in an area where you're left in a very uh, small area where you're confined and you can't do the things that nature intended for you to do, not to mention the fact that some of the conditions are not humane. These animals are living in filth. They don't have access to clean or fresh water. And even some of these uh, truck stop uh, zoos, if you will, uh, have been notorious for animal abuse. And that's why, little by little, they're being shut down all across the United States. Now, I, I don't know about outside the United States, but I know that that's a big movement here. Yes, and and for circuses as well, they're shutting down circuses um, with wild animals in many countries around the world, and we're a little behind on that because there's so much money involved, um, and people still believe that that the circus and the zoo sensitizes children to animals, when I think what they're doing is exactly the opposite. They are desensitizing us to the use and abuse of animals. And I think that the ecological and health crises and even economic crises that we find ourselves in today, if we explore that, I think at the root of that, um, of those problems, is a anthropocentric view of the world, the the thought that um, humans are at the center of all reality. And I think that that kind of education begins in childhood on our plates and at the zoo. Thank you. Now, another area that I want to talk about is pet shops. I remember seeing an advertisement for a pet store uh, on TV. I don't watch TV all that much, but I just remember seeing this advertisement, and you you see these kids that are happy because they're connecting with their parents, and they are looking at all these these fuzzy little creatures that just seem to be uh, great, options to entertain yourself at home and yet the irony is is that there are so many cats and dogs that are put down because we cannot provide homes for them but yet there are businesses out there that profit from breeding these animals over and the, the females over and over until they can't get anything out of them and selling the offspring yeah i think that's why I started my first book um, mm. with pets, because I think this is such an important issue that so many families um, already deal with. And if you're raising kids, probably at some point they're going to want a pet. So um, I talked about how they are part of our family and that they all deserve the care. And all animals deserve the care and protection we give our pets. And I make a point in both books um, about uh, visiting the shelters and rescuing from shelters instead of pet stores. And I don't think I'm any more sensitive than the next person, um, but you really have to look at the footage and the photos and the documentaries um, to really understand what's going on in pet stores. And even if you look up the name of the pet stores, especially the big um, the big brand ones, um, you can see what kind of history they have with animal abuse and read about it 
online. It's, at the, it's accessible for anybody within two seconds. So you start to get a picture um, and understand the rule that I have, which is basically anytime you're exchanging animals um, for money, their best interests are not being taken care of. No, most certainly not. And uh, that also ties into some of the other activists that I've interviewed, especially when it comes to exotic animals. It just really amazes me that people still can obtain a license basically by paying a fee to bring a big cat into their home environment Mm -hmm. without really thinking about the complications involved with basically – having an animal that big and especially one that belongs in the wild and trying to domesticate it, it just makes absolutely no sense. And then you hear stories of people that just dump these animals into parks or into, uh, you know, uh, preserves, what have you, because they don't want the responsibility that they have by taking care of these animals and it it just amazes me that people just keep doing this over and over again and the question I guess becomes at what point will we allow this to continue until enough people get hurt so that we say okay this should be against the law right well I think as long as there's money involved and people make money it's always going to be an obstacle for us but I think our best bet and stacking our cards in our favor and for in favor of the animals is to teach children because they get it and if they they know to connect um on an emotional and an um logical sense with animals and the environment then that kind of education lasts a lifetime. Thank you. Now my next question is in regards to ocean the life in the ocean it is always interesting to listen to people that talk about how much they love the whales, they love the dolphins, you know, they have fish tanks, they have this, they have that. Why is it that as a species we're so disrespectful of the fact that that the life that exists in the ocean is really something that we need to take better care of because in essence marine life really is what helps us to sustain life. I mean, people don't understand that. We're constantly polluting the water. We're constantly doing all sorts of things to the oceans and of the marine life that actually has a direct impact on our own health. The oceans are are directly related to the health of the planet, of course. And um, uh, it's it's just another fact that's hidden, and there are great documentaries that people can check out. Um, for example, End of the Line and which talk about the next few decades on Earth and the collapse of ocean life that we're facing and how that's going to affect us on land. It's such a complex relationship between the ocean and land life um, that we most people are just not aware of. So, again, if we start to create these connections at a young age, um, I'm, I'm hopeful and... Um, I'm just confident in children to change the way um, we affect the public realm. Now, let me ask you a question. Why did you select the title Vegan is Love? Well, I think veganism is 
a physical embodiment um, of love for your own body, your own temple, for people across the world, for animals, for the environment. And uh, it's certainly not to say that meat eaters can't love or aren't worthy of love, but I think when you eat animals, you have to, um, there's a, there's a willful ignorance there that you have to maintain in order to disconnect and continue um, to participate in the use and abuse of animals. And in doing that, the destruction, irreversible destruction um, of our planet. I just want to also point out that I thought it was very, very clever that especially on the cover with the elephant's trunk, you have a heart at the end of the snout. <laughs> you have uh, hearts on the, uh, I guess the um, the mounds of the uh, the goats and uh, uh, the bull that's down in the corner. And you, you're just very clever. Just very, very Thank clever. You. I actually here. received an email specifically about that. Um, I don't know if it's an email or a comment, but it was from a mom who was in a bookstore, and she was with her little girl, and the girl saw the book, saw the hearts in the trunk of um, the elephant, and wanted the book just (laughs) for that reason alone. Um, But the mom said that at that point she couldn't buy it um, because they weren't vegan, and she didn't know how this was going to affect her household, and she just got freaked out and uh, didn't purchase the book which I think raises um, a great point about the the controversy being more about parents and their willingness to change than it is about children's abilities to learn. Um, This book is just like any other book that talks about how people around the world eat and live. And if we are all trying to move toward um, a greener planet and greener um, habits, and there really should be nothing to fear in this book. This book is simply about green choices that anybody and everybody can participate in, and you don't have to be vegan to make a vegan choice. No, you definitely do not, and this book, is there's nothing scary about it whatsoever. I think that, uh, especially when you're speaking from truth, uh, there's nothing scary about the truth. Um, it's As you pointed out earlier in the show, it's when we're hiding from something, that is when things get to be scary because we're basically trying to disguise things to suit our own needs. And the bottom line is is that if you're looking to make a transition, uh, you know, it's not just about doing something because it's trendy or popular, but it's about actually understanding what you're doing and why. And, you know, one of the things that I found with kids, kids, you don't necessarily have to scare them into understanding things, but they will be more respectful of you if you explain to them why. And if you don't have a good uh, method or or have an understanding of how you can communicate veganism to your kids, uh, personally, I would highly recommend Vegan is Love or that's why we don't eat animals, because I think the pictures, even if your child can't read, the pictures really do all the talking for you. And it's not something that's scary. Uh, I, I think cartoons on TV are scary. 
some of the things that are communicated. Hey, you know, I I can't even watch TV at this point just because this no, is it's true. They're, they're scary and they're violent. And they, extremely they make, violent. They yeah. make fun of the violence. And it's interesting as a society, we embrace violence, but we don't embrace love. And I think that is one of the big messages that you really have been able to communicate to a younger audience with Vegan is Love. Uh, Ruby, we are almost out of time, and I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. So can you tell our audience what's next? Are you going to make um, a cartoon out of this? Are you going to make a movie out of this? Can we expect some action figures, a theme park? <laughs> what's next for you? Um, I've got all kinds of plans, including um, another book, which should be out next year. I'm working on that right now. So that'll be another children's book. And in the meantime, people can connect with me on my website, veganislove.com. And from there, um, keep updated. Join my newsletter, join me on Facebook, Twitter, and um, I'll keep everyone updated on what's coming. There's uh, art prints available, too, if anyone's interested in buying prints from the book. Oh, beautiful. Just get to me through my website. And can you just give our audience your website one last time? It is www.veganislove.com. Thank you so much. And I just want to say a special thanks to Talia Shapiro for introducing me to you. Lovely woman. And folks, thank you so much for tuning in. And by all means, if you really want to just learn more about yourself or just connect your kids to what a plant-based diet truly is, Pick up a copy of Vegan is Love, Having a Heart and Taking Action by Ms. Ruby Roth. Have a great afternoon, everyone. Thanks for tuning in.